Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, a place dedicated to the discussion of Christian faith in 21st century life. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So join us as we endeavor to understand 21st century life through the lens of Christian faith. I'm your host, Alan Bevere, pastor, professor, author, and lover of Five Alarm Food. Come and seek with me. All right, welcome everybody to Faith Seeking Understanding. I am Alan Bevere, your host. I am a pastor, retired, professor, Bible moth, theologian in exile, and a peddler of hope. And I am the self-appointed Anselm of Canterbury Chair of Podcast Theology and Culture here at Faith Seeking Understanding University, where all seekers are invited to ponder profound things free of charge. And this is episode 11 of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Pidge Bannon. Dr. Pidge Bannon, senior instructional designer, is with me. I am. You are ready to go, as always. I am. On Bonhoeffer. Um, so today we get to talk about the cost of discipleship. Now this is his, clearly his most famous book, um, it, at least in America. And uh, I, I read it. It was the first thing I read by Bonhoeffer when I was in college. And uh, it's got a famous passage at the beginning that I'm going to quote some of it. I'm not going to quote all of it because it's a really long passage. But, but it is the book, right? And if you talk to anybody uh, who has read any Bonhoeffer, they've, they've, read, they've this. read this. One. This is the one they've read. So we need to talk about it. So the cost of discipleship. So we're going to, let me kind of set it in its context as to when it's written. And then I want to give an overview of the book, and then we're going to do some quotes and, and have conversation about that. All right, so uh, in German, the book is just called Discipleship. When they, when they uh, translated it, I think they felt it would uh, sell more books if it, if it was the cost of discipleship. And, and of course, that's what it's about. But it, in German, it's Nachfolg, just discipleship. These are lectures he, was, he worked on and gave when he was teaching at the underground seminary. Uh, and uh, so he, he uses these lectures and then he compiles them together and he publishes this book. Um, it's, a, it's a work on Christian ethics. It's a work on focuses, it focuses primarily uh, on discipleship as following the teachings of Jesus. And uh, the book is divided into basically four sections. So the first section is, is one on costly grace. And this is, this, is the, this is the opening of the book. And uh, what he does is he contrasts, and I'll quote a little bit in it. I'll quote it in a little bit. He contrasts cheap grace from costly grace. Mm-hmm. Um, he ain't into cheap grace, and he thinks the church is peddling cheap grace. Yes. So he's going to talk about cheap grace versus costly grace, and he defines cheap grace as the grace we bestow upon ourselves. He says it's a pseudo-religion that asks only for tra- affirmation, not transformation, right? So mm-hmm. grace is about giving me the kudos. Making you know, me you, feel you, good. Um, 
The power of positive thinking. Oh, I'm okay, yes. you're okay. Robert Schultz. Yeah, I'm okay, you're okay. That's <laughs> yeah. that's that's the, the cheap grace Bonhoeffer wants to have nothing to do with. Costly grace, on the other hand, is the gospel that Bonhoeffer says must be sought again and again. And it's a gift which must be asked for, the door at which a person must knock. And the grace, this grace, he says, costs a person their life. But it is also God's ultimate gift of life. And he's channeling Jesus mm -hmm. here. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you want to lose your life for the gospel, you'll save it. Okay. Yep. So that's his, his first section is on costly grace. He then uh, has a section basically on the call to discipleship. Uh, Jesus calls us to be disciples. He doesn't just call us to be converts. He calls us to be calls us to journey and walk with him. If I might use the parade image, this is not an image he uses, but it's an image I've used before. Where are you going to be a bystander in the parade uh, and waving at Jesus while he walks by, mm -hmm. admiring him, mm -hmm. or are you going to hop in the parade behind him and follow him? Mm -hmm. See, this is Bonhoeffer says. Standing and waving on the, on the side is not what Jesus has called us to. Okay, admiring Jesus isn't the thing. It's following yep. him. Um, and he uses the, particularly he likes to utilize the passages where Jesus calls the disciples. You know, he calls them and they drop their nets, right? And they follow him. And um, he says that uh, following Jesus requires that kind of commitment that the disciples had in leaving everything. And that also means, by the way, Bonhoeffer says that worldly attachments are secondary. Mm. They are secondary. All right. His, his next section is on the Sermon on the Mount. And I, his, his treatment of the Sermon on the Mount is just wonderful. Bonhoeffer believes the Sermon on the Mount is meant to be lived in the here and now. Mm. It's rigorous. He knows that. But, he's, but, but he rejects interpreters who have said, oh, this is too idealistic to live in this world. Uh, this is an ethic for the coming kingdom. This is not the way, it, it, the, the, you know, the real world has all kinds of problems. And if you live this way, you know, you just, you just can't live this way. You can't love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You can't do the kinds of things that Jesus says you can do. And Bonhoeffer says, uh, no. <laughs> no, Jesus clearly expected this to be lived in the here and now. Yeah. And uh, so uh, he does spend some time on the Beatitudes. He talks about the righteousness of the kingdom of God. Uh, he also talks about the love of enemies and how we are not to take revenge. Mm -hmm. um, and um, he also says, you know, if we live this way, we're not attached to stuff, and we live the way Jesus, it's going to be difficult. It's amazing, though, how carefree our life will be, and that life will become simplified. Mm -hmm. we, we complicate life, Bonhoeffer says. We complicate yes. it. But being attached to the gospel alone and ordering everything from that creates a kind of carefree life that you can't have, uh, that we, we, you know, we create more we create more complexity than we really need to. Mm -hmm. This is Bonhoeffer, okay. And just about, he talks about judging and condemning um, and basically says that the Sermon on the Mount is a call to a radically different kind of existence, radically different kind of way of life. 
because God is at the center of everything, mm-hmm. everything. Okay, I think the way Bon, I think Bonhoeffer would agree with this. Again, he didn't say it, but this is the way I say these things. I think I say that a lot of times what we do in our discipleship is we get busy, and so what we do is we carve out time for God. We always say, make sure you make time for God. When, you, when you're in the summer and you're on vacation and you've got the family reunions and everything and you're tempted to miss worship, make sure you make time for God. Mm-hmm. The way Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer wouldn't like that. He would say, what are you doing carving time out for God? No, 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 that's, no, no, no. It's not that we have to make time for God. What we have to remember is God is in all our time. Right. And that we need to live life as if God is in all our time. So if you've got to carve out time for God, you've already got it wrong. See? I like that. Um, And so he also wants to talk about, uh, he finishes up saying, you know, that we, you and I as disciples, we are messengers of Jesus. We've been called not only to follow Jesus, but to represent him in the world. Mm -hmm. We are his representatives. Um, And part of that, he says, uh, will enable suffering. Because the, the call of the Sermon on the Mount to this radical lifestyle is not going to be embraced by everybody and it's not going to make everybody happy. Um, and so an integrated part of the Christian journey is suffering. It's not that we seek the suffering, mm-hmm. right? But that the values of the kingdom are so different from the world's, it's just inevitable that it's going to happen. Um, and he also reflects upon the community, the church community living this, this way of discipleship. So what Bonhoeffer wants to do in this book is challenge believers to live authentically, mm-hmm. uh, to be grounded in the teaching of Jesus, to live it despite the cost, hence the cost of discipleship. Right, right. Um, and uh, it's a call for absolute obedience to Jesus, right? Uh, and... Uh, There's a good reason why this book has become a classic. So, let's get into some quotes. Let's get into some quotes. Let's get into some quotes. All right, I'm going to read a a portion of the first section. It's really long, how this book opens up, so I don't want to read the whole thing. But I'm going to read the first paragraph at least, and then I may skip through some things. Cheap grace. This is the way it starts out. I mean, it's just, there's nothing like, there's (laughs) nothing like starting out with the soft approach. Yeah. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions or fixing limits. Grace without price, grace without cost. The essence of grace, we suppose, is that the account has been paid in advance And because it has been paid, everything can be had for nothing. Since the cost was infinite, the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it were not cheap? (laughs) And he goes on. Costly. Cheap grace is the preaching (laughs) of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Mm. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. 
Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his debts and follows him. Oh, I just should keep reading. It's so good. I'll finish it up. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again. The gift which must be asked for. The door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. Mm. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly, and this is, this is one of the best parts of it. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Mm. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Wow. Yes. And that's the way the book starts. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, what's next? It's like, yeah. Like, okay, Dietrich, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, this is really good stuff. Bonhoeffer has a real handle on grace in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I do I do agree that I think the church often presents grace in a very cheap way. Mm-hmm. I, he calls it cheap grace. I like to call it passive grace. And that is that the, the, we think of, can think of grace as uh, being in the, on the beach in the summertime. And grace is the sun in which all we do is lay there and soak up the sun's rays. And every now and then, we, we may work up enough energy to flip over on our other side. But that's all we do. And, and, and that's, that's, I think that's the way we a lot of times uh, characterize grace. Bonhoeffer understands that this is not the grace of the New Testament. This is not at all. That, that, that there is a living, active, transforming aspect of grace. And, uh, it's well, a, there's a commitment. You got to get out there and do stuff. There's a commitment to it. You got to get out there and do stuff and make mistakes, even to experience the grace. Yeah, God gives us grace so that we might be changed, right? And transformed. It's transforming right. grace. That's the idea, right? And that transformation doesn't come without a lot of discomfort. Absolutely, so, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. All right, let me read just a few other quotes here. So when Christ, here's one: When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. You know, one of the things that we have to, when we read in the Bible, when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We've, we've interpreted that as, well, everybody has a burden to bear of some kind. Mm-hmm. That is not how his disciples in the first century would have heard it. The cross, the, cro- <laughs> the cross is, is, is if, if, if you're taking up your cross, you're going to be executed. And so this is not just like a, a, a hangnail, you know, or, or a nagging relative. This, this, this is serious stuff. And so sometimes I think we've kind of cheapened that call by, mm-hmm. by saying it's just a burden to bear. Now, we all have burdens to bear, to be sure, and Christ helps us bear our burdens. 
But this is the serious call. This is the call to give it all up. This is the call to give everything up. Um, it is only because Jesus became like us that we can become like him. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I like that too. That really is the scandalous, that's one of the scandalous claims of the gospel, that God, the God of the universe, became like us. Yeah. I and mean, that's really pretty scandalous. Yeah. Wow. Um, when all is said and done, the life of faith is nothing if not an unending struggle of the spirit with every available weapon against the flesh. So the life of faith is not always easy. Mm. Not always easy. Um, here's one where he talks, about, he talks about discipleship and the manna in the desert. He says, earthly goods are given to be used, not to be collected. In the wilderness, God gave Israel the manna every day, and they had no need to worry about food and drink. Indeed, if they kept any of the manna over until the next day, it went bad. In the same way, the disciple must receive his portion from God every day. If he stores it up as a permanent possession, he spoils not only the gift, but himself as well. For he sets his heart on accumulated wealth and makes it a barrier between himself and God. Where our treasure is, there is our trust, our security, our consolation, and our God. Hoarding is idolatry. Now he's getting now he's getting personal. There you go. I know. Oh, like boy. ouch. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. I always say that uh, I you know, as a Methodist, one of it's it's tradition in most Methodist churches, not all, to say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And and I have preached sermon series on the Lord's Prayer in the past. And one of the things that I say is it is so hard in a culture like ours to say, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us give us today the only the bread we need for today when most of us will probably die from too much bread <laughs> right we don't start most of us there are people in this country that are food insecure to be sure but i'm not going to die of starvation that's not in my future that's right yeah but this what is it like to be in a context where you pray actually just give me yeah. what i need for today just today yeah not to, don't worry about tomorrow i won't worry about tomorrow just today hoarding is idolatry all right dietrich you ain't playing our song here. <laughs> the will of God to which the law gives expression is that men should defeat their enemies by loving them. Mm. Hmm. Here's another one. Let's add to that. Christian love draws no distinction between one enemy and another, except that the more bitter one, our enemy's hatred, the greater his need of love. Be his enmity political or religious, he has nothing to expect from a follower of Jesus but unqualified love. In such love there is not inner discord between the private person and official capacity. In both we are disciples of Christ or we are not Christians at all. Now Bonhoeffer here is poking at those who have interpreted the Sermon on the Mount as an individual ethic but not a corporate ethic. So I'm to turn the other cheek as an individual. But if it's for, on behalf of somebody else, I don't have to do that, mm. see. Mm -hmm. Bonhoeffer's poking at that. He says, between private person or official capacity, we are to love our enemy. Here's another one. Let's really get into this, boy. <laughs> the Christian must treat his enemy as a brother and requite his hostility with love. His behavior must be determined not by the way others treat him, but by the treatment he himself receives from Jesus. 
it has only one source and that is the will of Jesus. So we don't respond to our enemy the way our enemy responds to us. We respond to our enemy in the way Jesus would respond. And how did Jesus respond? He went to a cross. Boy, I don't know about you, but you know, (laughs) I've always said that if you read the Sermon on the Mount and it doesn't bother you, you either have attained a level of perfection I have not, or you just haven't read it. Yeah. Because it it is, it's scandalous stuff. Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer reminds us of that. Oh, here's one. Let's get this. Let's just, you know, we're in for a penny, in for a pound. Here's here's one. Here's one more. No sacrifice which a lover would make for his beloved is too great for us to make for our enemy. Hmm. I ain't got to tell you, there's lots of stuff I would love to do for my wife that I don't want to do for the neighbor next door. I'm thinking the same thing. I don't know that I want to do that. I got two neighbors. (laughs) The one neighbors on the one side of us are just the greatest people in the world. The other neighbor... It's questionable day by day, right? <laughs> Just got to say that. And here Dietrich is saying to me, no sacrifice that you would make for your wife should be is, is greater, is too great of a sacrifice for your neighbor next door. Wow, Bonhoeffer. Speak words of kindness to me, Dietrich. <laughs> I want more grace. Help me, help me, help me. Yeah, anybody want a little cheap grace here at this point? <laughs> Uh, and then here's another, here's a line that he's very famous for. Uh, one who, only he who believes is obedient and only he is obedient believes. This is really important because Bonhoeffer, we have a tendency to separate faith from action, what we do. You know, I believe. Yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a Christian. I believe. I believe in Jesus. I, I can say the Apostles' Creed and I believe all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But for Bonhoeffer, belief belief is demonstrated in obedience, in action. So an analogy that I like to use, I don't know if I've used this in previous podcasts or not, but I'll use it again, is that if you and I were sitting in this room here recording this podcast, if you and I truly believe at any moment the ceiling was going to come crashing down on us, Mm. would we be sitting here? Doubtful. Very doubtful. doubtful. If we stayed here, it would either reveal we have a death wish (laughs) or we didn't really believe it. Right? We'd be out of here. And so what Bonhoeffer wants to say is you really believe in Jesus. Show me. Demonstrate it. Mm-hmm. So for Bonhoeffer, you know, Bonhoeffer would have loved, I don't know if he comments, you know, I, he may comment on James somewhere, but he would have loved James. Yeah. Faith, without, faith without works is dead. You say, you say you believe there is one God, James says. Oh, good for you. The demons believe that. Right? And, and so, so, so it, it, isn't that, it isn't that we're justified. It's, the, this is not an earning of salvation. We need to be real clear. Bonhoeffer is not saying we, if we earn our salvation, if we do our stuff upright, we get enough stuff mm-hmm. in, the, in the right bin, then we get into the kingdom. That's not what Bonhoeffer is saying. Faith, great, salvation is a gift. It's a gift of grace. But for Bonhoeffer, the belief is demonstrated in the obedience. Right. That's why 
Paul can say to the Romans, chapter 14, something like that, that whatever is not done from faith is sin. Now, what is Paul saying that? Paul is talking about living the life of faith. One of the important things to mention here is that both in Hebrew and Greek, faith, faith and faithfulness are, are basically the same word. So when Paul uses the word being justified by faith, for Paul, he's not just thinking, believing the right things about Jesus. That's right. important. Right. But it's living the way Jesus would have us live. Yeah. So again, faith is transforming. Grace is transforming. And this is a big thing for Bonhoeffer. So there's a wonderful little phrase that Paul uses at the beginning of Romans. And I'm not sure if Bonhoeffer latches onto this or not. I've got to, I can't remember. But Paul talks about the obedience of faith. Mm. And interesting. Faith itself is an obedience. There's mm -hmm. an obedience to faith. So for Bonhoeffer, the cost of discipleship, uh, Jesus has taught told us what are given us our marching orders in the Sermon on the Mount and there is no good excuse not to live it mm. yeah and they're there and they're there and they're there so um, let me let me uh, let's see I've got let me let me read one more here to you the messengers of Jesus will be hated to the end of time. They will be blamed for all the division which ran cities and homes. <laughs> Jesus and his disciples will be condemned on all sides for undermining family life and for leading the nation astray. They will be called crazy fanatics and disturbers of the peace. The disciples will be sorely tempted to desert their Lord. But the end is also near, and they must hold on and persevere until it comes. Only he will be blessed who remains loyal to Jesus and his word until the end. The problem is... Bonhoeffer says this, but for me, when I read this, I think he's right. The problem is so often the church has affirmed the status quo, affirmed mm. the way things are. Right. Right. And right. and if you if you stir something up, you're a troublemaker, and the Christians also cause you a troublemaker. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, Karl Marx. I mean, Karl Marx. That's his complaint about religion. He says it's the opiate of the masses. Right. He says it makes everybody docile, you know. It, 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 you know. So, so, you know, you can You're okay with injustice. You're okay with, with, uh, you know, lack of fairness in the world. You, religion is used to keep people, um, like they've had an overdose of Ritalin. I was gonna say sedated. Sedated. <laughs> uh, Bonhoeffer understands that we Christians follow. A Lord who was strung up on the cross by the authorities yeah. and many of his first followers including Paul ran afoul of the authorities yes right yes I mean we you know we would see Christians going to jail today for for this stuff as a scandal but for the first Christians it was like the norm it was the norm yeah. it was the norm you know John Wesley once Methodism as a movement, of course, at first it was opposed by many people, opposed by the Anglican Church, and Wesley himself had problems with people throwing eggs at him and doing yes. other things, right? Yes. And uh, it's, it, as he got old and, and near the end of his life, and Methodism now became more mainstream and acceptable, he really worried that that would, that would be the, the death knell of, 
of Methodism okay. is a vital movement. So he's got this famous line people like to quote is he says, I don't fear Methodism will cease to exist, but I fear that it will not have the power it did because he's afraid that it's going to become so acceptable and status quo right. that the, the, the Methodists will be tempted to settle in right. and get along. Right. And that's his concern. So Bonhoeffer's words are true, but um, the reality is, at least in the Western world, we Christians really have the opposite problem. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really have to worry about people breaking down our door and carting us off to jail. Um, if you're white, but we well, <laughs> well, if you're white, that, I mean, this is a good point. But what we really have to worry about is the politicians coming in our door to shake our hands because they want our vote. Right. <laughs> That's the bigger problem. Yeah. Yeah. So. All yeah. right. Yeah. You ever notice that the politicians only care for us when it's election time? I know, right? I found that out as a pastor. Okay. When I was a pastor, all of a sudden I had politicians wanting to, can, can I come to your fish fry? I'd like to come to your fish fry you're having on Friday nights. You're, you're welcome to come to our fish fry. Don't pass out literature. That's what I would say. You're welcome to come to our fish fry. Don't pass out literature. You know, but all of a sudden, man, it's election time. All of a sudden we exist. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's funny because I, you know, Bray and I have this thing about mixing politics in with yeah. religion, and it's it shouldn't with the church, not just yeah. religion, but with the church. Right. Gotcha. And I, it just needs to stay separate because, yeah. um, and I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but we were in Nebraska for a long time, and yeah. up in the northwest corner of Nebraska, mm-hmm. which is just like no man's land, there was this one church, in you know, little itty bitty dinky thing, that served you know a hundred mile radius Mm -hmm. and um they were putting in uh digging to put in the the pipelines Mm. so there was this huge well they wanted to dig to put in the pipelines huge thing going on in the ballots and you know half of the people were for it half of the people were against it and they all went to this one little itty bitty church oh boy so there's this white, we went and we saw this little lady bitty church and there's a white fence that goes around the church, your churchyard. And the pastor had said, this is the deal. Everything political outside that fence. Yeah. We do not talk about it. Once you step in that yep. fence, you are on church ground and we are Christians. We love and we love and support our neighbors and our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And so it was just it was a but it was a huge deal. But that was yeah. the only place that was safe. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean these yeah. these guys were toting guns and yeah, it was just it was such a huge deal. So outside it's it's completely different. Holy communion place. followed by target practice. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, we need to be careful because the other thing what happens is I don't think the gospel, Christians should be unconcerned with these issues, but I think sometimes no, exactly. if we, and, I, and you're not saying that, I th- but I think if, if we get too wrapped up in them, we really undermine the message of the gospel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We forget what we're about. Right. So I'm, I become as a Christian about the next election, not about the lordship of Jesus. Right, and, and Christianity should inform our politics. And Christianity should Ex- inform it, not yeah. politics informing our Christianity. Right, which actually so. the other that latter way is probably more true for Christians. Right. I mean, I've often said that the big problem with Christians in America is not that we're um, that we're, uh, we're 
problem with, let me try this again. The problem with Christians in America is that we, and, and we don't believe this, but it's true. If we're honest, I think most of us are more American than we are Christian. Yeah. And we see our politics through, not through the lens of Christianity, but the other way around. We see it through the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. And then we incorporate that into our Christianity when it really needs to be the other way around. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I agree. I'm with you. And now that I've just offended everybody who listens to me, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're all... So this is the day that you got the raspberry. <laughs> this is the day I got the raspberry. No, you yeah. did. You gave them the raspberry. I gave them the raspberry. You gave them the raspberry. I gave the raspberry. The Raspberry yeah. Award. Yeah. yeah, that's right. No, no. We got good, sophisticated leaders. They think deeply about this stuff. They so, do. So we're good. All right, friends. Well, that's it for today. Um, we'll be back next week uh, with another exciting episode of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yes. And uh, this is Faith Seeking Understanding. Uh, the patron saint of Faith Seeking Understanding is Anselm of Canterbury, who said, I, understand, I don't understand in order to believe, but I believe in order to understand. Keep seeking friends. Bye, everybody. Thank you.